And he didn't just come to be wrecked by drugs and alcohol, uh, but by all, for all of us whose lives have been wrecked by sin. Whether that looks like our sin has been very destructive or very popular, we have all need the message of Jesus, and he came for that. Well, this time, um, but before we go, this is a moment. The kids are going to be dismissed to Children's Church in just a second. And this is through kids up through third grade. And um, if you're uh, a guest with us, um, they're going to be well taken care of. They're going to exit through this door in just a minute. And before we do, those of you who are heading to Children's Christmas. Okay, few of them. All right. How many of you wish it were today and you didn't have to wait anymore? All right. Okay, yeah, I see some big kids raising their hands, too. They, want, they wish Christmas was today. All right, well, I wanted to set that up. All right, kids, you guys can head out to Children's Church. All right, and the rest of us, will you open your Bibles to the book of Luke? If you open your Bibles to the book of Luke, if you did not bring a Bible this morning, there is one close to you in the pew. And uh, if you want to use one of our pew Bibles, this is going to be on page 857. I want to encourage you to get a Bible out. Um, one of the things that we do at Eastside Baptist Church is we, just, we walk through texts of the Bible. We don't want to, um, we can say it this way, that we don't think we have a, the church has not concluded they have a pastor who's good enough to just come up and tell stories all the time, and they need somebody who sticks to the Bible. And so that's what we do here. Uh, we look at what the Bible says and we teach that. So, page 857, and if you don't have a Bible and... Um, there's a pew Bible. We would encourage you to take that pew Bible home with you if you'll read it, and that would be a gift uh, from us to you, and we believe it would have a significant impact in your life. Well, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning in our passage, and as we think about waiting for Christmas, and the kids, as they've just left a moment ago, and waiting for Christmas, the message this morning is not about waiting for Christmas, but that the wait is over. As we think about kids anticipating Christmas, they're shaking boxes, looking under the tree, trying to find out what's inside. I remember as a kid, I was, um, I remember I got the $6 million man for Christmas one year. And his little action figure, he looked through his eye, the bionic eye, and he made sounds. And, and I was really excited about it, but it was a little disappointing on Christmas Day because my brothers and I had gone on a search to find Christmas presents a few days before, and we found them. Right? which was really cool at the time, but on Christmas morning it was like, that was a dumb idea, right? because some of the excitement had worn off. But the anticipation of Christmas, um, kids at night, and maybe older kids unable to sleep at night, the expectation and excitement that is coming, waking up early before mom and dad, um, really early. Some of you, your kids get up really, really early. Uh, when our kids were little, we knew they'd get up early, and we told them, okay, if you get up early, you cannot get out of your room until the first number on the clock is a seven. Okay, so I'm not sure. I'm sure they're up well before that, but their, their goal was to stay in their room until seven, the seven was the first number on the clock. And uh, we're confident inside that room was lots of anticipation of Christmas outside of, the, outside of the room and under the tree. And while we think about the eager anticipation of Christmas and of looking forward to Christmas and celebrating that in just a couple of days, what we're really recognizing is that the celebration of Christmas is less about an anticipation but as much as it is about a recollection of what God has already done. Because while we look forward to presents, the greatest thing that God has done for us, the greatest gift that He has given, He has given to us. It has already been provided. Jesus has come. He has, he has come. He has, the wait was over. And this morning's passage, we're going to look at, 
is a passage that takes place shortly after Mary and Joseph were in the manger. It happens about 30 or 40 days after an angel uh, had visited the shepherds at night and told them to go look for it. It happens nine months after Mary was visited by an angel and told that she was going to have a baby. Obviously quite surprised because she was, she was a virgin and had never been with a man and didn't know how this was going to happen. But the angel communicated to her that this was going to be a supernatural birth through the Holy Spirit. That had happened. Joseph, an angel has already visited him to tell him that his fiancée, who's now pregnant, is indeed pregnant by the Holy Spirit, not another guy. And so Joseph decides to take her as his wife at that point. The passage we look at this morning, that they've already left the manger. And, and, and the magi, the wise men from the east, they haven't got there yet. And it's, they're not there yet. They're still, they're still on their way. And so our passage this morning actually takes place about 30 or 40 days after Jesus was born. And it's in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. We want to read this in the context of the wait being over. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 22 of the book of Luke. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, that's Mary and Joseph, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And we'll pause here in our text. And as we see this, that Mary and Joseph have taken a six-mile journey from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem. And they're doing this according to the law. I want you to notice in this passage that the word law is used three times. We see it in verse 22. It said this time of purification, it says, according to the law of Moses. And then in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And then verse 24, they're to offer sacrifice, it says that, as it said, in the law of the Lord. And that emphasis of this idea of the law tells us a couple of things. One, it helps us to realize that Mary and Joseph were committed to following God. They were serious about following God and doing the things that the Old Testament law had prescribed about childbirth, about dedicating your kids to the Lord, that they were serious about that. But it also tells us that, that these events of the coming of Jesus didn't just happen in a vacuum. They didn't just happen like one starry night an angel showed up and a baby's born. But there had been groundwork being laid literally for thousands of years. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God had made promises about a coming Messiah. About one who was coming who was going to fix everything that's broken. And now we're seeing that beginning to be fulfilled here. And it's being fulfilled according to the law. And so one of the first points in the outline in your bulletin this morning is this, is that the law is fulfilled. This Old Testament law that Mary and Joseph are committed to, they are going to follow this law. And so they take Jesus up to Jerusalem and they present him, it says in verse 22, to the Lord. They present Jesus according to the law. Um, and so what we see is that Jesus in this context is that he is dedicated to the Lord. And this dedication points us back. Okay, so a lot of what we see that this morning is pointing us backwards. And where it points us back to is the book of Exodus. And if you keep your place here in Luke and turn all the way back to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, 
And in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, this is on page 55 in the Pew Bible, we see this law given that God is talking to His people, the Israelites, who had been enslaved in Egypt, and they've been enslaved for 400 years. And God is coming to deliver them. He's coming to bring them out of this slavery. And in doing this, there's this plague that's going to come over the nation of Egypt. And all the firstborn are going to die, except those who put the blood of a lamb on a doorpost. Okay, God's doing something miraculous here. And so the, the Israelites, if they put blood on the doorpost, their firstborn will be spared. Okay, and this chapter 13 then gives us a little bit of indication about what happens and why, what this has to do with Jesus. Because chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord said to Moses, okay, Moses is going to be the one who's going to lead them out of Egypt. They're going to part the Red Sea, travel through all of that. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. And God is saying that the firstborn belong to him. This would be tied to other festivals that we'll see in the Old Testament, that God is saying that the very first, which oftentimes the first is, is the most, it is the best, that the first belongs to God. And there's this idea that, that what we have ultimately doesn't belong to us. That what we have ultimately does not belong to us. And we would see that in even the very fact that we have life and breath. I mean, our life doesn't belong to us. None of us sustains our own life. We are just given life. As we think about the families that we've been given, the multitude of talents and abilities and intelligences that we've been, that, that those are things we've been given. But in this context, Mary and Joseph have been given a child. And it was a child from the Lord, and they're dedicating this child to him. That they're consecrating this child to God and saying, God, we know that this is your child, and we know this because of his supernatural birth that he belongs to you. But here in the book of Exodus, we see that all the firstborn, and we would broaden that even more to know that all of our children ultimately belong to the Lord. And for parents... That's a really important thing for us to grasp. Because as parents, as we bear our children, we, they're ours, and we, we want to take all the responsibility that we have. We want to raise them well. We want to hold them tight. We want to hold them close. And whenever we start to see them going in a different direction, we want to pull them in. Or we start to see them get a little older. It's hard to cut the apron, spring, apron strings. All those things are hard because we love our kids. And yet we realize they're not ours first. That they're God's. And while knowing that they're God's kids means we have a tremendous responsibility because we, if they're his kids and he's given them to us, that we've got a, a huge job to take good care of them and, as Scripture says, to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that we don't get to just do whatever we want. They're his kids, and if they're his kids, we need to raise him according to his word. But we also recognize with that that they're also with that great responsibility becomes a level of freedom that to recognize that I can hold my kids with an open hand and to realize that they're his first. And if he has a will for them that's different than mine, I have to rest in that. And as we think about parents, that's hard because as parents, if this is my kid, I want to keep holding on tight. And I want to say, mine. 
just like we do with so, much of, so many of the other gifts God gives to us. We want to say it's mine, and the challenge is whenever we're holding tightly like this and God says, I have a different plan, that it's, it hurts a lot when he has to op- pull open our hands. But we see here Mary and Joseph, this unique child who has been conceived of the Holy Spirit that has been given to them of God. They've got this tremendous responsibility. And they begin the early days of Jesus' birth by saying, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to do what He wants. And so they consecrate Jesus to the Lord at the very early age according to the law. Well, as we continue in this, back to the book of Luke. Back to the book of Luke, we see them coming to Jerusalem, making this dedication to the Lord. But it also says then in verse 24, in Luke chapter 2, verse 24, it says, now there was a man, I'm sorry, verse 24, it says, and they came to offer a sacrifice according to what was written in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, when I was studying this earlier in this week, at this time of year, when I hear a pair of turtle doves, that sounds like, two turtle doves, what song came to my mind? Yeah, that 12 Days of Christmas. That, I think what you might like that song. It's a weird song, right? All the stuff somebody's given, and it says, on the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me, what? Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Okay, I don't have any idea if that's relate, this song is related to that or at all, but when I think of two turtle doves, but what we're seeing in this is this idea of two turtle doves are being offered as a sacrifice. That ties up to verse 22 where it says, when the time for their purification according to the law of Moses came. So these turtle doves and this purification, that's all tied together. And it's tied together again as we point backwards to the Old Testament. So let's look there again in the book of Leviticus. This is, the Bible begins by Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. This is on page 90 in your pew Bible, Leviticus chapter 12, page 90, Leviticus 12. And what has happened is God has now brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay, they were in Egypt. God's brought them through the Red Sea. God's destroyed the Egyptian army. God's led them to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, it is shaking. It is quaking. God is there. Moses is meeting with them. And God's giving them his law. He's giving him his instructions. And he tells them in Leviticus chapter 12, these laws that God gives to them, to the Israelites, cover every part of life. Every part, what they eat, where they bathe, how they, where they go to the bathroom. I mean, literally everything is, is written in this law. And one of the things, even their laws about childbirth and what happens after a kid's born. And that's what we see here in chapter 12 of the book of Leviticus. And look down in chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter, verse 6 of chapter 12. It says, And when her days of her purifying, okay, this is a woman who's had a baby, when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of the meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she shall, claim, she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is a law for her who bears a child, either male or female. So what we read here is that following the birth of a child, that there's a sacrifice to be given. And why did it say the sacrifice was to be a, in the middle of verse 6, 
what's the first thing it says? A lamb and a pigeon or a turtle dove. Now, we're reading this in the Old Testament. We're seeking lamb and a turtle dove or a pigeon. And we read over here that Mary and Joseph offered two turtle doves. Okay, well, why the difference? I mean, are they not following the law? What's going on? Well, let's read a little further in verse 8. As we keep on reading the scripture, it says this. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin sacrifice, as the priest shall make atonement, that's a covering, for her, and she shall be clean. And so what we see in this is that we see that Mary and Joseph offer a sacrifice, and this sacrifice is for her cleansing. And so the, the law prescribed a lamb and a turtle dove unless what? Your financial situation was such that you can't afford a lamb, and if you can't afford a lamb, then you bring two turtle doves which teaches us something about Mary and Joseph's economic situation, right? They are obviously a poor couple. They don't have hardly anything. And all they're going to offer, as the, which is amazing to me, as these, this young couple are presenting in the temple the Son of God, the Son of God who has taken on flesh this baby, that the only sacrifice they can give are two turtle doves. And yet we realize God has orchestrated all of this. And God wants us to learn some things from this. And I believe one of the things that God wants us to learn from this is that God is not, God is not a God who chooses people based on their economic status. God is not a God who uses people on the basis of how much income they have, how high class they are, how low class they are, that we have a God who enters into our world in a very lowly state to help us to recognize that we're all in this together. That we're all in this together because whether we are poor or whether we are rich in this passage in Leviticus, everybody needs cleansing. We get to the New Testament and we start reading about cleansing. We read less about like ritualistic cleansing for blood and all that. We don't read about that in the New Testament. What we read about is cleansing from sin. And when it comes to cleansing from sin, we all need that. Because the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every one of us aren't just little sinners or minor sinners. We're all big sinners. Okay? I ask these questions often and I'll ask them again. How many lies do you think you've told in your life? Okay, what does that make you? You say, well, somebody who tells lies. Well, if I, said you, if I told you lies, what would you call me? you say, a liar. Oh, I guess if I've told a bunch of lies in my life, I'm a liar. Yeah, but how many lies do you have to tell to actually become a liar? And I would say, well, the Bible says in the same Ten Commandments, it says don't lie, it says don't murder. How many people do you have to kill to be a murderer? Hmm. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa. So I've told a bunch of lies. That's bad? Yeah. How many things you've stolen in your life? Well, I just stole my sister's pencil one year. Well, it's not about the, it's not about the value of the object. It's about the condition of your heart. And what we see in the condition of our heart underneath this idea of sin is that we all want what we want. That is our problem. That is what the, the ultimate our challenge with God is. I want what I want. And when somebody gets in the way of it, that's a problem. And we see this on Christmas Day. You're going to see this, right? Your kids, if you have little kids, I, this little story, I wasn't planning to share this, but it, my kids were watching home videos the other day. Because um, we, anyway. Anyway, so, so there's this one, and it was like 2006 or 7, and it was the year that the Wii came out. 
right? The Wii came out, and our kids, we got a Wii. And so they got this Wii, and we have, when you buy a Wii, how many people players is it? It's a two-player game, two controllers. I have three kids. Guess what that created on Christmas morning? With the day Jesus came, we're celebrating his birth. Guess what that created? <laughs> Conflict, right? Why? Because we're all sinners, right? And now, just not for their sinners, but guess what was stirring up in me whenever I'm watching them fight on Christmas morning over this toy that I spent a bunch of money on, right? Are you ungrateful, kids? Right? Which is a reminder that who's the sinner in the room? We all are. And we realize that we look at little things like that, but those little things are big things to God. They're big things to God because we're saying, God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And because of that, we all need cleansing. And here in our passage, we see Mary and Joseph following the law and offering a cleansing. They're offering a sacrifice for this cleansing. And one of the beautiful things we see is this sacrifice that's offered for Mary's cleansing in the temple with Jesus is this picture that Jesus is going to be the one who offers himself as a sacrifice for our cleansing. That's the hope that we see in Christmas. As we see these Old Testament images about cleansing and sacrifices, they're pointing us somewhere and they're helping us to see that we all have needs. And this baby that comes and grows up and dies on the cross and raises from the dead is the God that we all need. And so we begin to see this. Well, as we continue in our passage, back to Luke. So Mary and Joseph, serious about following God's law, they offer their son, they consecrate him to the Lord, dedicate him to the Lord, they offer this sacrifice of cleansing. As we get to verse 25, in the temple, while they're there, in verse 25, it says in Luke 2, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, this is Simeon, took up, took him in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll pause here. So there's this man, so Mary and Joseph are in the temple doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing, and there's a guy in there. And there's a guy in there who has been, has been told to him by the Holy Spirit, God has supernaturally revealed to him that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. That's tremendous hope. That means... I mean, he can kind of almost count his days, right? He knows, I'm not dying until I see the Messiah. And, and, and so, he, but he's in, and the Holy Spirit is revealing that to him. And then he sees Jesus come in, and it's revealed to him through the Holy Spirit that this is this Messiah. And what we recognize for Simeon, we realize that the wait is over. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting. We're not told how long. But he's waiting for this coming Messiah. And as we think about Simeon waiting, he is in many ways a picture of the nation of Israel, a people who have been waiting, longing for this light to come into the world, waiting for the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, waiting and waiting and waiting. And now Jesus comes into the temple and the wait is over. And as we recognize this, look at Simeon, takes him in his arms, and he blesses God, and he says in verse 29, 
For now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, in the a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people, Israel. So Simeon prays this prayer, and he's talking to the Lord, and he says, God, I can rest in peace now. I can go home. I've been waiting for this and waiting, and the time has come. And what we see in this is that that Jesus has brought a peace to Simeon. And what we realize is that the peace that Jesus brings to Simeon is a peace that God can bring to us. That we have a God who, who enters into our world to bring us peace. And there are two kinds of peace that he brings us. One is peace with God. Because we said a moment ago that how many of us are sinners in this room? That we all are. I mean, we just talked about lying and stealing. That's two of the Ten Commandments. If you have any questions of whether you're guilty, keep going through them. Blasphemy, using God's name in ways you shouldn't, sexual immorality, coveting, okay, being angry with other people. Okay, so we realize we're all sinners and we're all in this together. And because of that, that there is a gap between us and God. And there's a wall of hostility that I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And God knows that. And because of our sin, we are unacceptable to God. Our sin makes us unacceptable to God. And that's a problem. Because our unacceptability to God, we die in our sins that we are separated from Him forever. And the Bible describes a place of punishment called hell that we will spend forever if we die in our sins. And yet Jesus has come to bridge that gap. He has come to bring restoration. He has come to bring peace. He has come to, to bring these two warring factors, us as sinners and the holy God. He has come to step in between us to bring us together. And he has done that by offering himself as a sacrifice to make peace so that we can have peace with God. And if, you, if the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I confess my sin, this wall of hostility is removed, and I am reunited to my Heavenly Father. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And Jesus did that so we can have peace with God. But he didn't just come to give us peace with God, he's also come to give us the peace of God. And what, that mean, by what I mean by that as believers, it's easy for us to be stirred up and troubled by a lot of things, maybe health issues, relationship challenges, financial difficulties, just, just the load of life and all of these things. And internally, there's just this turmoil that is just going and going. And I don't have peace and I can't find peace. I don't know how to, how to achieve it. And we see that the Word of God and, and, and the Word of God would give us counsel about how we find that peace. Philippians 4 talks about rejoicing in the Lord, but then it talks about thinking right and praying right and doing right things and thinking right and then doing these things, applying these biblical truths, and peace can come. And this is one of the things that we often talk about in our church without biblical counseling. Now, we love biblical counseling here. and We want to help people because oftentimes believers get stuck. Unbelievers are lost and they get stuck. And we want to help them, but we also want to help believers who are stuck. As their wheels are spinning and they're not having the peace of God, we want to help them to restore that. And we believe God has plenty of answers for that. Well, as we see this peace that he brings, back to verse 29, it says, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the point here is Jesus not only brings peace to his people, but he brings salvation to the whole world. He talks about Gentiles here. He talks about Israelites. That's everybody. To all peoples, Jesus brings salvation because everybody needs salvation. So we see that the law is fulfilled. The waiting is over. And now in verse 33, we're going to read on. It says, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for... For the fall and rising of many in Israel, as Jesus comes and he preaches, some people are going to hear it, believe it, and they're going to be lifted up. Others are going to reject it, and they're going to be brought down. And it says, and a sign that is opposed, and it says in verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When Jesus dies on the cross, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Some will mock, some will repent. We see the hearts on display, but it says of Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul. I think this is a foreshadowing that this baby that is in Simeon's arm that she is blessing, that one day, Mary, a sword will pierce your soul because this child will be taken. You know, we think about Christmas and we think about Easter and we recognize Jesus is born and he dies on the cross and for us and for even for Mary it's a glorious thing from a spiritual standpoint because God gives us new life and forgiveness but we must not dehumanize it because as Mary is standing at the foot of the cross when her baby boy that's now a grown adult dies a sword certainly pierces her heart I mean, we realize that. We think about parents and families in our own congregation who when lost a, lost a, a child, it, a sword pierces your own heart or soul. And the difficulty that is. And yet in the midst of this, this same Jesus who is going to die and that is going to bring the piercing to her heart is also the one who can bring her peace. And that is our hope of the gospel. That God forgives us of sins, but also gives us a great comforter. And we see this hope in this. Well, as we continue in our passage in verse 36, it transitions to another lady. Her name's Anna. And it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, and the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Okay, so this lady, Anna, she was married for seven years and has been widowed ever since. There are some discrepancies in the text. Was she 84 years old or was she a, virgin, or was she a widow for 84 years? Regardless, she was a widow for a long time. And she's advanced in her years. And it says of her, it says and um, verse 37, and then she was just widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so there's this widow in the temple of God every day. 
She doesn't leave the temple. And she's been widowed for many years. And there's this hint here that we see she's longing, she's worshiping, fasting, and in prayer. That she is giving herself to good spiritual fruit. And, and which I think is just interesting that we don't hear this widow. She's been widowed 84 years. But she realizes, I'm still useful to the Lord. I haven't been put on the bench. I have, I'm not going to allow myself to grow bitter and, and just wish God had done things differently. No, she turns her attention to the Lord, worshiping, fasting, and prayer. And what I love about this passage is I sometimes sense that oftentimes when we, as we age, we get to stages of life where we are unable to do many of the things we wish that we could do or that we used to do. And oftentimes it feels like, well, I can't do what I used to do, so I'm really of not much value anymore, and so I'm kind of put on a shelf. What I love about this is that Anna was giving herself to worshiping, fasting, and praying. And praying. And sometimes we think, well, if I can't do anything else, I guess I'll pray. And yet we realize that the ministry of prayer is hugely significant to the life of the church. Listen, we... Listen, I do not want us to be a church that are able to do what we can do. What I mean by that is I don't want us to be a church that we can do what the talent that our pastor have and the talent that the people God gives us and the musical talent and the gifts and skills he gives all the people that we can do really good things because of all of our talent. I don't want to be that kind of church. I want to be the kind of church that God says, listen, we've got a bunch of ordinary people, relatively decent talents kind of stuff, but I want to do things far greater than what they could ever do. And the only way God does that is not by us just working harder, by but us trusting more. And that we're praying and we have, we have a core people who are this boiler room and praying and praying and saying, God, use our church, use us in significant ways. And we're asking God to do big things. And why that's important is because we read in Scripture, God often says, he says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. And sometimes we wonder, why isn't there more going on? Why, couldn't, why aren't more people getting saved? And I would ask, how often are you praying for people to get saved? How often are we passionately asking God to do big things? And so we see this Anna, and we see Anna in the midst of this, that in the midst of this, she comes, and what she sees in this is that her hope is realized. Her hope is realized. She has seen Jesus, and Jesus satisfies this longing of, her, uh, of his servant. Simeon, I can go in peace. Anna sees this Messiah and this hope of Israel. And it says at the last part, it says, When she gave thanks to God and spoke to him of all who were waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. Everybody who's waiting on a Savior, she's telling them this. And what we see in this is Anna is excited about this. Anna, as she experiences this, this baby has come. As the, as the law has been fulfilled, the waiting is over, the hope is realized. What does Anna do? Look with me at the verse, end of verse 38. She gave thanks to God, so she's rejoicing, she's continuing her prayer, and to speak of him to all who are waiting. What does she do? Here's, here's a point I want us to see is this this hope of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've embraced the gospel, you have peace with God, the peace of God, if you have recognized that your sins have been forgiven because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have been made new, listen, I trust that you really do believe that this news is too good to keep to yourself. 
that this is good stuff. I mean, that, that, that people would share with you. Think about the people who shared with you this gospel and you heard it and believed it and were made new. You're thankful for them. That we would be a people who are so eager. We want others to know. And I think it's imperative as we go from here and as in the next few days. How many of you are going to be with people in the next few days that you don't see real often? Almost every one of us. What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to be able to say, hey, we went to church on Sunday and um, we're talking about some of the cool things that God's done for us. And, um, and then start a conversation like that. You know, start a conversation to ask them, hey, you go to Christmas on, do you go to church on Sunday? And they said, no, I ain't go to church on Sunday. He says, well, why not? And they said, well, I'm a bunch of hypocrites there, blah, blah, blah. I, my mom always drug me there, blah, blah, Whatever they say. And he says, well, listen, man, we went to church, and let me tell you some of the cool things that we're learning about what God's done. Right? And just being wise and creating opportunities. Maybe your family doesn't pray together. Maybe you say, hey, come, before we eat today, can we just pray? I mean, we're celebrating Christmas, and it's about Jesus, and maybe we should just talk to him today. And you think, man, that's really uncomfortable. I'm not sure I'm the guy for that. If your family's not doing it and you're hearing this today, you're the person for it. Step up, right? This is good news, right? And so as we think about this, what we realize, that the hope of the world has come. Jesus has been born. The law has been fulfilled. The waiting is over. The hope is realized. And as we think about that in our lives, in our lives, we have so many different stories here. All of our lives have taken so many different paths. And I would guess to a person, not one of our lives would follow the path that we would have scripted. But our lives are following the script of the author. And while our stories may look different, and as we hear John and Jess share their testimony this morning of the tremendous work God has done, and, and by the way, wasn't that a wonderful testimony of God's work? As we... As we were thinking, John was they were working on his testimony. He said, do you think we should share names? I said, I don't remember what I said to him, but I, I, I thought about it. I said, well, where would you stop? Because what I know is he's mentioned, they mentioned me and they mentioned Audra, but there have been a multitude of our church family that have come alongside of them, multitudes. As we think about the, what God wants to do in us, he wants to do this in us as a body of believers, that we need each other. We need others alongside of us that we realize to encourage us, to remind us the law is fulfilled, the waiting is over, the hope has been realized. And I would encourage and ask you this morning, do you really believe this? I mean, do you, do you, do you really, I mean, believe it, not just like, yeah, I know this, that's why I'm here this morning, I know it, yeah, I got it, I, got, I know the story, blah, 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 blah. No, if that's it, you don't get it. I'm saying, does it light a fire in you? If it lights a fire and you rejoice because God is the one who lit that fire. But if you're still wrestling with that and thinking, that's just not where I am, I would encourage you to, to, to read this book, to, to pray and say, God, help me to understand this. Help me to get this. God, I want a fire lit in me. I need, I need this forgiveness. I need this restoration. I need all the stuff that is talked about in your word. And, and, and I need this. I need hope and peace and satisfaction. I need all that. I need the forgiveness of my sins. And to realize that Christmas is a wonderful time to receive that gift. Because it's at Christmas that we realize, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God has given us a great gift, 
and let us rejoice in that gift today. Well, I'm going to pray, and as we pray, I'm going to encourage you to really give some thought to what we've talked about this morning, and then we're going to conclude our service by singing joy to the world, and we're singing joy to the world. What's the next line of that song? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's why there's joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, that we have this whole Bible that is helping us to get a big understanding of who you are and who we are and what you should do to us and how you've given us a sacrifice instead. God, we thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that the law has been fulfilled, that there's no more, that Jesus kept it for us. The waiting is over. Lord, I pray today if there's someone here, if there's some here today who are saying, you know what? I know I need this, but I'm going to wait. Lord, I pray that they would realize that today is a day of salvation. That they, they would settle this today before they leave. And Lord, together we would realize that the hope is come. And that we would rejoice in Jesus. And our hearts would overflow with joy. Because not only can we have the peace with God, but a peace of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.